0: Speak and it's so good to be with you today. And today we are kicking off a brand new series as we enter into this Thanksgiving season called Walking in the Word. But not just any word, we are walking in the Word of God. We're going to be locked into and looking at Psalm 119 over the next couple of weeks. How many of you, just by show of hands, how many of you guys have ever heard of the Psalms before? Raise your hand up, you heard the Psalms in the Bible. Look, even if you haven't, like some of the, the most well-known verses in scripture have come out of the Psalms. And so we're gonna be taking a look at Psalm 119 in particular. And as we start this series, I want to give you some fun facts, or maybe more so some fast facts on the psalms and it's you don't have to write any of these down but it's really to help us to see where we are in the bible because it's always good to know just some of the context where we are in scripture and even like as you know that you begin to see some of the intentionality as to why god allowed this to be in the bible why he had that somebody write this down so we would have it generations and generations later look it is all breathed by god all of Scripture scriptures breathed out by god And it is useful for teaching and training and correcting so all of us may be thoroughly equipped for every single good work. So here are some fast facts on Psalms and also Psalm chapter 119. Again, you don't have to write these down. But the Psalms, first of all, there are five books of the Bible actually put together. They cover about 900 years of Jewish history. The Psalms are these five groupings of books of prayers and praises all brought together. They were written, some of them to be sung to the Lord, prayed to the Lord, and some of them were written by King David, in fact most of them were. Some of them were written by some of the worship leaders for the people of Israel, and some of them were even written by Moses, and some of them actually have unknown authors, but we know that they were part of the Word of God, and that by the power of the Holy Spirit they're included in God's Word today the psalms are also meant to bring us to a place where we are praising God, praying to him, and also pondering the things about God in both the ups and also the downs of life. In fact, maybe that's why there's 150 psalms. If you read through some of them, they'll cover everything in life that you will ever go through, whether it's relationships, Man, whether it's uh, physical issues, spiritual issues, relational issues, economic issues, the Psalms cover so much. In fact, as you read through the Psalms, they actually get real. I'm talking about real, real. They will impact every area of your life as you're reading these things, praying to, praising God, and pondering who God is. Again, no matter what season of life you find yourself in. In Psalm 119, it is the longest of all the Psalms. In fact, it is 176 verses. And if you read through them, as you look in your Bible, you're going to see that Psalms 119 is also an acrostic. In fact, each section begins with a letter proceeding in the Hebrew alphabet. And as you read the Psalms, like it's an acrostic, and it was designed to help people to memorize and internalize what was actually stated in the scriptures and to mark the order. And Psalm 119, look, it is all about the Word of God. 176 verses, the longest of the Psalms, all about the Word of God. Referring to this deep need that all of us have that we need to know about the Word of God to live it out, but also to deeply know it. In fact, as we read through it, you're going to see some of these words referred to like uh, the Word of God, the law of God, the precepts of God, testimony, statutes, commandments, judgments, ordinances, rules, all of those are referring back to the word of God, how we need to be submitting to it, obeying it, acknowledging it, and even meditating on the word of God. And as we go through this church over the next four weeks, as we go through this series, man, you're going to see that in this part of the Bible, man, what we're going to look at are some really practical principles that you can put into place in your life right now to take a step to grow in your relationship with the Lord. There will be some really simple, really practical steps that everyone can take. But as we go through this, I want to remind you, as we take these practical steps, that following Jesus, again, it really isn't just about taking these steps. Look, I know we just finished our Nehemiah series, A Heart for the Kingdom. And even as we go through this, it's always good to be asking the question, what is it that has your heart? Because following Jesus isn't just simply all these inputs and outputs. It really is about a relationship with him. Man, we don't follow him out of obligation. In fact, there is this constant cleansing that God wants to do in us. And it is something where the believer needs to do this, where we're continually aiming our attention and affection on the Lord. And we need to consistently do that. But man, following and trusting in Jesus is a matter of surrender. Look, all of us are born with this problem of sin. Sin causes this brokenness that we all experience. And I know that the Bible says, look, if we don't do something about that sin problem, it leads us to this place of bondage and debt. In fact, the scriptures even say the wages of sin is death. I mean, it leads us to this eternal separation from the Lord. If we don't do something about that sin problem— But again, the good news is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus wasn't just another rabbi or teacher or some first century zealot. He was the son of God. He was God in flesh. And this Jesus who is God, he died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. And scripture is so simple. We repent of that sin. We believe in Jesus. Man, we receive this life that Christ wants for us. In fact, following him really just shows that Jesus has always had and always will have the keys to eternal life, but also to life to the full while we're here on earth. Look, Christianity is the only religion that says that you don't have to achieve, but instead you receive. Look, it is only by grace through faith that somebody is saved. It's only by grace through faith so that no one can boast. Salvation is this free gift of God come on church how much does God love us that even though he doesn't need us he still chose us even though he doesn't need us he still calls us in fact I would even challenge you today if you're sitting in this room you haven't yet trusted in Jesus as Lord it is so simple to repent of your sin and to believe in Christ you don't have to achieve but you can receive the free gift of God today in fact, I thought we would even start off today, okay, as we go through Psalm 119, the longest psalm in all the Bible. I thought we start today by doing some congregational reading, and we're going to read all 176 verses today. Just kidding, all right? We're not going to do that, all right? But we are going to do some congregational reading. Um, So for you guys who haven't done this before, you're going to see some words up on the screen. Some of the words are going to be in bold. Okay, so the words in bold, we're all going to read those words together. For the words not in bold, okay, just I'm going to read those parts. Again, don't be trying to read my part. Stick to your part. Um, so if you're able to stand, okay, let's all stand together and let's read the first eight verses in Psalm 119 together. Psalm 119, starting in verse 1. Having my eyes fixed on all your commandments, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous ways. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me, Church. I want to show to you, show, show in this passage today, just in these first eight verses, that happiness is found right here. In fact, you may not even realize it, but what we just read there is the key to happiness that God gives in His Word. So before you head to your seat today, because we read eight verses, I want you to high-five eight people and tell them this is your happy place, okay? High-five eight people and tell them this is your happy place. feel like some of you guys are talking about something completely different now. Have a seat, okay? Look, I subtitled today's message, How to Be Happy. Church, happiness is found right here in this passage. So what is it that makes you happy? Look, here's a couple of things that makes Pastor Andrew happy, okay? The first thing is when there is no traffic. Before moving to this area, my wife and my kids and I, we live just outside of uh, D.C. in this area called Stafford, Fredericksburg, Virginia, about 45 miles south of D.C. And I don't know what it is about that area, but the I-95 corridor runs through that, that, that way. And that area is one of the worst places for traffic in the entire country. In fact, I think it was voted number one or number two for traffic jams in all of the nation. And it was, there's something evil about that corridor. In fact, I would often say that I 95, that area, meant it was demon possessed because no matter what time of day, like there's some type of traffic jam happening in that area, and a, a simple 10 minute drive could take you two hours because of I 95. Now, since moving to Hampton Roads, it's not as bad, but it ain't great. But I love it when there's no traffic. I mean, it's almost like the Lord is making another Jordan River, parting the ways for me to be able to get to whatever I'm going through. I love it. It is my happy place when there's no traffic. Another thing that makes Pastor Andrew very happy is bag fries. Now, okay, I'm not talking about a bag of fries, even though I would love a bag of fries. But what I'm talking about is like when you've received your fries from that restaurant, okay, and in that little carton you've had all the fries and then you are just thinking, man, I wish. I wish I just had one or two more. But then you reach down into the bag that your food came in and there's a couple of fries that jumped out because they knew that you would soon need a couple of more. And you reach down in there and there's those one, those couple of fries remaining. I just love when you find some bag fries. That is my happy place. But there's still some fries in the bag. Another thing that is my happy place is uh, date night with my wife. Okay? When there's Again, I love my children. I feel like I have to say that. Mikai is in here today. I feel like I have to say that. I love my kids. I really do. But I love it when it's just my wife and I, and we have uninterrupted conversation. It is my happy place just to spend some time just with her. And another thing that is my happy place as well is when our kids actually get along. Look, my, my kids, just like many of your kids, look, they fight with each other. Okay, they need Jesus as well. Um, My kids, um, even though when they fight with each other, man, I love it when they actually get along. I love it when they actually are laughing together hysterically. Man, I love it when they actually resolve an issue and they actually forgive each other and show the love of Christ to each other. I love it when they're actually getting along. In fact, church, real time, just yesterday, uh, my oldest daughter was doing this, uh, this kind of girls, friends get together at our house. So I was instructed to take the other three kids out of the house while this girls event was happening. So my oldest son, Noah, my um, youngest son, Lucas, my youngest daughter, Karis, we were gonna go on a bike ride on the Dismal Swamp Trail. So we were going to load up the bikes and while I'm loading up the bikes, put on our little bike rack on the back of our car, uh, our two sons are out riding their bikes around our little cul-de-sac. And as they're riding their bikes around the cul-de-sac, my oldest son decided to go the opposite direction as my younger son. So as they're coming around the cul-de-sac, there's a collision. And I'm, I'm putting on the bike rack, I don't see these, but all of a sudden I hear screaming happening where they're saying, you did this, it was on purpose, you did this. And my youngest son was screaming at my oldest son. And so I walk over there and I was asked what happened. And my oldest son says to my youngest son, he said, he said, Lucas, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have gone this way. And I hurt you and I hit you. Would you please forgive me? And right then that moment it was like, yes, they're getting along. Praise God! And then one of the things that we try to teach him too, look, we try to teach, where we want our whole family to be known as a family that actually forgives, as Jesus has forgiven us. And so we teach, like, when you when you offend somebody, like, you do full-on forgiveness. You actually say what you did. You repented of it. And then even if you only did 1% wrong, you own that 1% and say, hey, like, I want to I wanna ask for forgiveness as this as well. I shouldn't have responded this way or done this as well. And so after that, we're walking back over to the car, loading the bikes, and I'm about to give our youngest son the talk and say, look, you also need to apologize for the way you responded to that accident that happened. And as I'm getting ready to give him the talk, our youngest son, Lucas, simply says, Noah, I'm so sorry I screamed and yelled at you. I did not respond in the right way. Would you please forgive me? And again, parent win in that moment, but also my happy place. Man, there's something about when our kids actually get along and when they're doing the things that we know that we're trying to teach them that God teaches them to and we actually see it happen. It is my happy place. But church, what about you? What is it that makes you happy? Look, happiness is something that we're often chasing so many times in culture again and again. And it is good to find some happiness and when you find some bag fries, it is good to find some happiness where you feel like the Lord is parting the Red Sea for you on 64 and he's seeing there is no traffic in a moment where there usually is traffic. But have you ever noticed that happiness, and I'm talking about real happiness look that deep happiness that no one can take away that comes from god and the ups and downs of life that that deep happiness is so often different from the way that we often view it so today for the low price of what you paid to be in this place i want to show you from god's word how to be happy look back at verse one The writer of Psalm 119 says, blessed. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. And then he says it again. He says, blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. So church, you want to know how to be happy? Number one, write this down. To be happy, you need to constantly, Submit to the process of completeness. To to experience real happiness, you need to constantly submit to the process of completeness. Again, doesn't doesn't that absolutely sound like opposite of what the world will often tell us happiness looks like? So you're, you're telling me, Pastor Andrew, that happiness looks like some submission and going through a process? Absolutely. In fact, the author says back in verse 1 and 2, he uses the word blessed here. And that word blessed in the original language is the word ashray. And this is what it means in the original Hebrew language. Look, it means to be happy. It means to be blessed. It means to literally to be called happy. And look, church, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Look, God wants to bless you. He wants you to be happy, but it's often not in the way that we think. The author even uses this word blameless here. Now, again, in the original language, that word blameless, it's the word tamin. And it, be, it means to be made complete. It means to be made whole. It means to be made intact. So uh, there was a Pastor Andrew translation of this verse. It would go something like this. "Look, happy are those whose life is constantly heading toward godly wholeness, toward godly completeness. So here's the submission part and the process part that you'll see here in the second half of verse one and verse two. Again, the writer says, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. And he says, blessed are those who keep his testimonies. Again, there is the process. It is walking in the law of the Lord. It is step-by-step, day-by-day, constantly walking in the Lord. But then he says this, blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart? Look, to be called happy, to be blessed, which means again, to be made whole, to be made intact, to be blameless. Those of you, like when you're really happy, means to keep the Lord's commandments and to seek him not with part of your heart, not with some of your heart, not occasionally with your heart, but the author says you seek him with your whole heart. Church, we need to constantly, Submit ourselves to the process of completeness that God wants to work in us and through us. In fact, here's a couple questions I think you can ask to see if you're constantly submitting yourself to this process that actually leads to completeness, that actually leads to wholeness, that actually leads to happiness. First question I think we can ask around this is look, who are the people in your life? Who are the people actually in your life? Again, the psalmist says, look, we walk in the law of the Lord. We keep his testimonies. We walk in his ways. And I know a few weeks ago we talked about in our Nehemiah series, we talked about, look, all of us are influencing someone. God is places in these circles of influence for a reason. Again, are you leveraging that influence for the glory of God? But maybe the other side of that is who is it that's actually influencing you? We always need to ask the question of when it comes to every area of our life, is Jesus actually first? Is he actually the number one influence in our life? And sometimes, church, we may not even say it this way, but I think oftentimes we are wanting God to submit to our plans instead of us actually submitting to his. We may say, God, look, I stepped into this relationship, and I didn't consult you, and this person believes the Bible's dumb, and they don't believe in you, but I stepped into this relationship. God, would you bless this relationship? Again, you're seeking this happiness, asking God to bless something that you did not even consult him on. Again, who is the number one influence in your life? You may say, God, I know your word says and whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if working for the Lord and not for people, but I didn't seek you when I pursued this job. Now all I do is complain about my boss and I do the bare minimum uh, Bare minimum when I go to work. I show up late all the time and I'm just complaining about everything that's happening in there. But God, would you bless it, even though I did not consult you on it. And sometimes we're saying, God, would you submit your ways, your will to mine instead of the opposite. Now, church, we need to ask the question, who is actually influencing you? Again, is Jesus first? It's no wonder Jesus himself would even say in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, he says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. Look, are you wanting God to submit to you? or Are you actually submitting to him? Look, if the Lord has said it, we're going to submit to it. Is God first in every era of of your life? Is His will, His way, His kingdom agenda actually first on your agenda? Second question we need to ask if we're constantly submitting to this process of completeness that God wants to work in us and through us is to simply ask the question hey, what is it that you're actually producing? Look, the life of the believer is producing something. Are you producing the fruit of righteousness? Are you producing the fruit of the Spirit? When you're walking with Christ, when you're doing this walk with him. Again, the author says, look, uh, those who are blessed are blameless. Again, it's this wholeness, this intactness for those who actually follow and walk in the Lord. So as we're walking in this life, look, are you leaving a trail of destruction or are you leaving a trail of blessing? Look, when you actually look at your life and your relationships and those people around you, man, do you see where God is actually producing some intactness, some completeness, when he's actually fixing some things as a result of you being in that circle of influence or that actual environment? What is your life actually producing? Or can someone look at your life and see a trail of more brokenness, destroyed relationships, destroyed stewardship like what is your life actually producing i heard a friend of mine recently say that they they want their life in jesus to be a life where their audio actually matches their video where the things that they're saying and that they're doing are actually lining up what they're actually producing in their life so church does your audio match your video Another question to ask if we're constantly submitting to this process of wholeness and completeness that God wants to work in us is what patterns are you developing right now? Come on, are you walking, seeking, and keeping? Are you actually walking in the Word? Are you seeking God again, not with part of your heart, some of your heart, occasionally with your heart? Are you actually seeking God with your whole heart? Man, and are you keeping His commands? And this is to be the pattern of the overall life of the believer. Again, what is our mission here at Colson? We are on a mission to develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ. Again, not perfect, but authentic. Not perfect, but it means we're in process. So that means that, look, when we mess up because we will, it means that we own it. We actually confess what we've done, to the lord but also to others as well like we are in process which means that right now we are developing a pattern right now in our lives that is going to bring glory to god that's not defined by sin because we know that we are sinners but we know that we've been saved by grace what patterns are you developing right now because they're literally determining who you're becoming tomorrow you know the apostle paul would say it this way in romans chapter 12 verses 1 through 2 where he would say, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Man, notice that the Apostle Paul says that we are to be a living sacrifice church what does a sacrifice do anybody know it dies and notice that he says a living sacrifice look there is this continual dying to self that is shown as a pattern in the life of the believer we are continually picking up our cross daily we're continually dying to self so that God can do that cleansing work in us. I know last week, um, some of you may have missed, but we did this thing. where in the church service. We had people come and nail their sins to the cross because Jesus has taken our sins out of the way. He's already triumphed over them. And I really hope, I've been praying that so many of you, this is the last time that you were going to do that. And you literally left it there. You're walking in the freedom and the triumph that comes with Christ. Again, the Lord knows that sometimes we go back what was if you go back to what was don't stay and return as quickly as you can to the lord again our life no longer looks like our sinful behavior but man it looks like the savior it doesn't look like a life where we are letting sin settle in our life but man we're letting god clean some things out and continually cleanse us again what patterns right now are you developing in your life church? because they're determining who you're becoming tomorrow so how do we be happy? Look, we constantly submit to the process of completeness that God wants to work in us and through us. And then look how the psalmist continues in verse five. He says, Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. He says, Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. He says, I will praise you with an upright heart. When I learn your righteous rules, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. So church, how do you be happy? Number two, write this down. We consistently obey God and we leave all the consequences to him. And we consistently, again, in the ups and downs of life, we consistently obey God, trusting in him, following him, even when it doesn't make any sense. And we leave all the results, all the consequences up to him. So look, this consistency needs to happen in your relationship with Christ. Look, there's a steadfastness the author talks about. He says there is a steadfastness, in other words, this resoluteness, this um committedness, this covenanting that is not convenient that the psalmist is talking about that we need to have with our relationship with the Lord. He's saying, look, I'm steadfast in keeping your statutes. There is a blessing that comes when you consistently stay in God's commands, when you're recommitting to God's commands. There is this blessing that comes when we consistently work on and look toward our relationship with the Lord. But also this consistently needs to happen with your identity. Notice that the author says, he says, "'Then I shall not be put to shame, having fixed my eyes on all your commandments.'" Look, do you get the picture there in verse 6? He says, look, I'm going to fix my eyes on God and what it is that he said. And he's saying, I will not be put to shame. Church, fix your eyes on Jesus and God's word and shame is defeated. Fix your eyes on Jesus and God's word and shame does not get to define you. Look, look at me, okay? Listen to this. You are not what's been done to you. You are not what you've done, but you are what's been done for you in Christ. Look, I know you love it when I make you turn to your neighbor, okay? I need you to turn to your neighbor. I need you to repeat after me with this, okay? You need to tell them, when you know who you are, Again, it sounds like a drone out there when you say it, and no one's going to believe this if you just, like, moan it out. Okay, man, this is, this is truth from the Word of God, church. You are not what's been done to you, but you are what's been done for you in Christ. Okay, so turn to them, and with a little bit of gumption, okay, tell them, when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. Look, shame is not from the Savior. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. See, identity, activity in our lives flows from our identity. Look, way before Jesus did any miracle, way before he spoke to hundreds and thousands of people, way before he went and suffered and died on the cross and he had all these people following him, way before any of that stuff happened, Jesus was baptized. And you want to know what the father said from heaven when his son was being baptized? He said in Matthew chapter three, verse 17, he said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. The father said before Jesus did anything, while he was here on earth, Before he did anything, the Father said, look, I love you, and I'm already well-pleased in you. This was the identity of Christ. And Jesus himself would show us that, that identity, that our activity flows from this identity. Again, church, you are not what you've done. You are not what's been done to you. You are what's been done for you in Christ. And look, even for the person yet who hasn't trusted in Jesus, man, even today, man, God loves you. Even today, he's chosen you. So would you surrender your life to him and walk into the identity that he wants to give you? Man, he wants to give you this eternity to spend with him. He wants to lavish his love on you. You are loved, you are called. And church, there's something about us consistently surrendering this identity to the Lord where we actually experience this completeness and this wholeness that God wants to work in us and through us because of Christ. So we consistently obey God. We leave all the consequences and results up to him. And then also this consistency, look, it needs to happen when it comes to our worship. It needs to happen when it actually comes to how we're expressing our attention and our affection toward the Lord. In verse seven, he says, look, I will praise you with an upright heart. And look, the word right there, upright, it means to be sincere. Hey, church, it actually even means to be authentic. And I wanna consistently remind you I know I've already done it. Pastor Brian has already done it this morning, but our church is on a mission to develop authentic, these sincere followers of Jesus Christ. And again, when we tell you to connect, grow, serve, and multiply, it's not just some pithy statement we're saying, but these are pathways to discipleship, pathways to growth that come from God's Word. Again, when you're consistently leaning into these things, man, this is our act of worship to the Lord. When you're consistently connecting to God in corporate worship, When you make it a priority to be here on Sunday morning, yes, we connect to God individually, but there's something about when you come together corporately, and you worship the Lord. And there's something when you do that consistently, that God, again, he makes you more complete. He works that process in you. He blesses you. When you consistently are growing together in small groups, look, it matters. Being consistent in your commitment actually produces growth. When you're consistent about serving in ministry and mission, when you're giving of your time, your talent, and your treasure, man, God produces completeness and wholeness and blessings in you that you can't even imagine. Man, when you're actually multiplying disciples that advance the gospel, when you don't take what God has done for you just for you, you don't keep it to yourself. But you're seeing, who is it that I can bring into this relationship with Christ? Who is it I can share the gospel with? Who is it I can even bring along to continue to connect, grow, and serve, and to multiply what God has done in me because I will not keep it for myself? Church, there is a consistency that needs to happen in our worship, how we're showing our attention and our affection toward the Lord. But I will admit this week, like in studying this passage, verse 8 confused me a little bit. In verse 8, the psalmist says, I will keep your statutes. I get that. But then he says, do not utterly forsake me. And I I read this and I thought, look, is this this a contradiction in God's word? Because any of you maybe read the Bible for any amount of time, like you probably know from Old Testament to New Testament, God has said so many times, never will I leave you nor forsake you. God does not abandon his children. He may discipline them, but he's not going to abandon them. He may correct them, but he's not going to abandon them. He may bless his children, but he's not going to abandon them. He may even put them in a season of exile, but he's never going to abandon his children. So what in the world is the psalmist saying here? He says, do not utterly forsake me. This is one of those times in the Bible where, like, where through this, this contrast technique, this, just, this juxtaposition of holding up, look, here's all the blessings that come with knowing the Lord and following his word. And he's showing the alternative. And he's saying, look, as much as possible, I want to be so consistent and constant in these things because the opposite would be so much worse. Man, to not have the presence of God in my life, to not have his word in my life, it would be like God has abandoned me, but He says, "I do not want that." Even though it won't happen, I never want that. I want to be consistent in this, in this, because I want God to bless me and to complete me and to make me whole. The Church, how do we be happy? We constantly submit to this process of completeness. We consistently obey God, and we leave all the results, no matter what's happening in our life, all the consequences up to him. And look, I know all of us, all of us can be tempted to feel like there are these seasons, these moments where it seems like God doesn't care. There will be these seasons, these moments where it seems like God has not called us. There will be these seasons, these moments where it seems like God is not completing me. But even in those moments, I believe the author of Psalm 119 under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is challenging readers to remain consistent mean the power and the faith that actually builds when we're consistently submitting ourselves to the Lord and letting Him work that process in us. Man, the faith that builds when we're constantly following Him and leaving all the results up to Him produces some compounding effects in the life of the believer. Now, all of you on the way in should have received a penny. Why don't you go ahead and pull that penny out right now, which I have right here, Okay. Going to hold that penny up, all right? Hold that penny up. Um, And if you don't have one, just pretend. Just hold your hand like this, okay? If you don't have one, you just do this right here. Okay. Now, um, I've heard this illustration several times before. And I don't know why, but it's one of these illustrations that keep coming back to me. I, I read it in a book earlier this year. In fact, I shared it with you guys earlier this year. Um, another pastor used it just the other day as well. Um, so you may have heard this before, but because there's something consistent about this illustration coming back, I wanted to share it with you one more time. Um, so the, the first question I want to ask you, okay, let's say you have this penny, which the value of it is one cent, okay? It's one cent. Some of you may not have even seen a penny in a while. The value of this is one cent. If I told you that today, okay, today, you had the option. You can either take this penny, valued at one cent, or $1 million, which one would you take? Who would take the million dollars? Raise your hand up if you didn't want to take it. Okay. All right. Now, what if I told you that this penny, who is the is—all of these were donated by Bob and Carol Howe. Thank you, guys. Um— do they have to give them back afterwards? No? Okay, they say you can keep them, right? What if I told you that this was a magic penny, that for the next 30 days, if you could consistently wait, for the next 30 days, this penny is going to double every single day for the next 30 days. Would you take the million dollars, or would you take the penny? Because, okay, on day one, listen to the, the compounding effect that happens if you are consistent in your waiting, and you consistently wait that this thing is gonna double the next 30 days. Look, day one, you're gonna have a penny. Okay? But day two, it gets better. By day two, you're gonna have two pennies. Right? Now, by the next day, you're gonna have four pennies. Again, it's doubly, right? Now it's gonna get better, it's gonna get better. By day four, you're gonna have eight cents, and then by the next season, day fifteen, okay, it's getting a little bit better, you'd have $163.84. Then by day 25, you're like, all right. Mayo's starting to see some light at the end of the tunnel. You're going to have $167,772. By day 27, $671,088. But then by day 28, $1.3 million. And then by day 30, you'll have $5.3 million. And it's the compounding effect of it doubling every day. By this consistency and by this constancy in waiting and trusting the process. Church, some of you might think that you have a one-cent faith. And it may feel like so many times you've gone back to God's Word, may you've had to repent again, if you, you've had to turn to Him again, and sometimes it feels like you take three steps forward, then five steps back, and you may feel like you have a one-cent faith. But man, when you are constantly submitting to the process, that the Lord wants to work in you, that is bringing completeness and blessing. When you are consistently choosing to obey him and go back to him and return to him so many times and times again, you don't have a one-cent faith. You have a compounding faith. And God is producing blessing in your life, that deep happiness that nobody can take away. Man, God is producing this faith in you that's going to grow and build. Again, that no one can take it away. That's actually going to make you complete. Man, He who began a good work in you is going to bring it to completion. Look, as our worship team goes ahead and makes their way back up to the stage, church, what are we going to do to be happy? We are going to constantly submit to the process of completeness, we are going to consistently obey God. And again, in the ups and downs of life, we're going to leave all the results, all the consequences of the Him. We are going to trust him in every single season. In fact, it is my prayer for you today. If you're sitting in this room, you have not yet trusted in Jesus. And maybe you've been searching for this happiness in all the wrong places. But that real happiness and the joy that comes in the Lord only comes when you surrender your life to him. And then you let him do this process of completeness and wholeness in you. So I you go to bow your heads and close your eyes. And church, as, as we get ready just to sing one more song, and the song we're going to sing today is about how God is constant and he is consistent always. Man, if you haven't yet trusted in Jesus right now, but you're ready to surrender your life to God, you're tired of man, chasing happiness in all those wrong places, man, sin only produces more brokenness, but Jesus is the one that brings wholeness. If you're ready to surrender your life to Him right where there where you are, will you just pray the simple prayer? Again, these aren't some sort of magic words, but it's you just saying, Hey, look, God, I, I'm tired of chasing those things. I want the completeness that comes from you. We you just pray, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I repent of my sin. I trust you as Lord. I believe you are God. I believe you died for me. Jesus, would you make? And then for the person who's sitting here and look, you've already trusted in Jesus, man, I just wanted to ask you those questions again as you're just taking time right now to pray and to reflect. And I don't even challenge you as I read the questions again to see if we're constantly submitting to the process of letting God work his completeness in us. I don't even challenge you as I read these questions again, would you even make it like a prayer and just ask God, God, am I really doing these things? So who are the people in Christ? is Jesus really first in every area of your life? What are you producing? When you look at your life, is there a trail of more brokenness and more destruction or do you see the intactness, the completeness that God is building in you? Like do you see that happening around you? Like what are you actually producing with your life? Is there more brokenness or is there wholeness? Then what patterns are you developing? Again, church, I'm not talking about a decade ago, 20 years ago, I'm talking about today, right now. What patterns are you developing? And are you walking in the Lord? Are you seeking him with your whole heart? And are you keeping his commands? Father God, I thank you, Lord, for how good you are. And I thank you, Lord, that you are the one who is constant. You are the one who is consistent. And God, we want to be like our Heavenly Father. So God, I pray that you would help us as your people to constantly submit our lives to this process of wholeness that you want to work in us. God, we know that you want to bless us. God, we know that you want to make us happy. But Lord, it's not often in the ways that we think, but God, we want your way. God, we want your will to work that process in us. God, help us to consistently obey your word trust you. God, we're going to leave all the results up to you. Lord, if you have said it, we're going to submit to it. So God, we want to say that we're going to trust you. We're going to consistently come back to you over and over and over again. God, we're not going to let any label that the world tries to put on us, we're not going to let any label they try to put on us supersede what you have said about us. God, even in our identity, God, we want to consistently trust you and keep coming back to what you have said above anyone. God, we love you. We know that your word is good, your way is good. So help us, Lord, to walk in your word. In Christ's name.